Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Good evening. How are we doing? Pretty good? Fantastic. Uh, Let's go Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We'll be jumping around a little bit tonight, but we'll start off there. Uh, So uh, a few years ago, um, I found myself in a place where uh, I started off just feeling exhausted. Uh, That exhaustion led to a feeling of just being kind of burned out on life. And the next thing I knew, I was in this place where I was feeling apathetic uh, and and honestly kind of depressed. And that was a a scary feeling for me because uh, generally speaking, I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. I'm pretty positive. I've always been a glass half full. I've been pretty ambitious, just generally speaking. And so to wake up in the morning and have no drive, have no ambitious, or have no ambition, it's kind of a weird feeling. Uh, And so I spent a couple months just trying to snap out of it, uh, thinking that if I just, I was, I just be more positive, then maybe things would get better. And it just didn't. I just felt so just apathetic towards life. And and I I didn't really know what to do. And a friend of mine had just gone to see a counselor. And he said, man, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And so I I was like, maybe let's give this counselor thing a shot. And so I go, and and the counseling experience was incredible. But, But what I remember most about that day was the feeling in the waiting room. Because I remember walking in, sitting down in the waiting room to see this counselor, and I had one specific thought on my mind. I hope no one sees me. I hope I don't run into anybody that I know. I hope I don't recognize somebody in the waiting room to see the counselor. And I don't know if I could have articulated it like this then, but when I look back on on, on why that was my, my constant feeling while I was waiting in the room, is because I was experiencing this kind of weird mix of shame and pride. Shame because I thought, man, is there something wrong with me? Like, is there something just like wrong with me as a person for for feeling the way that I'm feeling? And then I, I would swing into pride because guys like me don't go to counseling. Guys like me, like we don't get depressed. Guys like me don't need this. And so I would just kind of swing from this weird mix of shame and pride. And I would sit there doing a good thing, going to just seek help for a problem I just couldn't figure out. And the only question or the only thought in my mind was, man, I hope no one sees me here. I bring that up because tonight we're talking about mental health. And I think one of the reasons why I felt that way in the waiting room is because historically as Christians, and I don't think it's anybody's fault, but historically as Christians, we just haven't done a really good job about talking about mental health. I think that we've kind of swung from kind of one of two different responses. One is we kind of avoid it or ignore it altogether, which kind of breeds shame, right? Because if you do struggle, then you realize, man, I'm I'm struggling with the thing that's apparently so embarrassing, we don't even talk about it. So, So shameful that we don't even approach it. So taboo that we don't even talk about it in church. And so that just kind of breeds some shame. Or the other approach is we minimize the severity of the problem, which breeds pride. And we kind of labeled those that struggle as weaker than or less than. 
And there's a certain pride. And so when you find yourself in that position, it's this kind of weird feeling that can happen between shame and pride. And so tonight, I want us to talk about mental health because I think this is a really important thing to talk about. Things are a much more far-reaching thing than we uh, even know. And so to be completely honest, cards on the table, uh, we're not going to have enough time to kind of get into just all the different nuances of mental health. And to be honest, I don't think you want me trying to get into the nuances of mental health. That's uh, above my pay grade. Um, What we're doing tonight, though, is we're going to talk simply about as followers of Christ, when we find ourselves struggling with mental health, what do we do? What is the proper response for followers of Christ when we find ourselves struggling with mental health? That's where we're going tonight. And so uh, before we dive in, I want to define what I I mean when I say mental health, because I think uh, definitions are important. I think definitions matter. And I think that there are so many different definitions and ideas of kind of what we're talking about. And so um, the Mayo Clinic uh, defines the mental health as this. It says that a mental illness, also called a mental health disorder, Uh, refers to a wide range of mental health conditions, disorders that affect your mood, thinking, and behavior. I think that's a fantastic definition. And to be completely honest, it was kind of enlightening definition for me because if I'm honest, I think growing up, I kind of had this idea of like, man, a mental health disorder, I mean, that's that's that kind of disheveled guy on, on the street corner that's yelling at the stop sign. Right? Like, like that's a mental health disorder. But in reality, it's just this condition of the mind that affects our mood and our thinking and our behavior which makes it a, a, a lot more bottom shelf, right? That means sometimes there's just something going on in our mind that affects our mood, it affects our attitude, right? It affects the way that we think and we view the world, it affects our behavior, it affects how we kind of interact with other people, right? And I think with that working definition, it, it, it kind of makes it a little bit more easy to understand in my mind. So to not want to frame it like this, I want to answer the question of, I mean, when we experience conditions of the mind, that affect our mood, thinking, and behavior, what do we do? What do we do in those scenarios? And so here's where I want us to start. I think the first thing we do is this. I think the first thing we do is we remind ourselves of the truth that we find in Scripture. That we first start by reminding ourselves of the truth that we find in Scripture. And here's what I mean. The truth of God's Word, the truth of who God is and what He has done, that is true and it will always be true. And nothing negates the truth of who our God is. Is, right? And so that is the starting point since that is the truth. Right? So let's take um, anxiety as an example. Right? What the word of God says, the truth of God's word would say is that we should not be consumed or ruled by anxiety because of who our God is. We should, we should not be overwhelmed by anxiety because we serve a God who is near to us. A God who is um, with us in the midst of the chaos, a God who is in absolute control. And so if we understand that truth, then we shouldn't be controlled or ruled by our anxiety, right? So let's use uh, Psalm 46 as an example. Psalm 46 uh, verses 1 through 3 says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the, its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right, what, what I love about this text is that, the, is that the psalmist doesn't say, hey, don't fear, just, just stop being afraid because there's no reason to fear. No, the psalmist acknowledges there are some anxiety-inducing things in the world. Right, there's some terrifying, scary things in the world. It says, but we will not be consumed. We will not be controlled by our fear, although 
The earth gives way. Although the waters roar and foam, he acknowledges, man, there are some legitimate fear-inducing, legitimate anxiety-inducing things that you will experience on this earth, yet in those moments, we are not controlled by fear. You know why? Because our God is a refuge. Our God is our strength. Our God is strong, and he is present. He is our very present help in times of trouble. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the things that produce anxiety in us, our God is near to us and he is in control. That's the truth. And that truth will always be the truth, right? Let's take shame as an example. Um, We don't oftentimes associate shame with uh, depression, but I I interviewed a bunch of counselors in in preparation for, for this, and they told me that, that if you trace most depression back, you can oftentimes find shame because there is a, a, a big difference between guilt and shame. We typically use those in kind of synonymous terms, um, but guilt is to say, I mean, I did something bad, while shame is to say, I, I am bad. Guilt says, I, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And so oftentimes, if we feel shame over something that we've done, some mistake that we've made, then what can happen is we can naturally kind of spiral into a depression because we think, man, this is, this is just who I am. I am spring break. I am freshman year. I am that one night when I had a little bit too much to drink and said that stupid thing. I am that one time that I, I, I didn't quite read that thing right and I made that move. Like there's, there's all these things that we can kind of associate and kind of spiral out and say, man, this is, like, this is who I am because of the mistakes that I've made and we find ourselves in a depressed state. But according to the truth of scripture, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The beauty of the gospel is that you are not your mistakes, and you are not a mistake. The beauty of the gospel says that, man, whatever you have done, whatever thing you have done that might bring you shame, we can rest in the truth that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. Like That is what the truth of our God says, our our God says, hey, these are the truths. And so when we kind of find ourselves in these places where our mood and our thinking and our behavior is being affected, first and foremost, we run to the truth of Scripture because the truth is always the truth. Now, here's the rub. The rub is that oftentimes, and I think as Christians, I think this is where we get really frustrated when it comes to mental health conversations in the church, is that there are some of us in the room who know what the Word of God says, and we believe what the word of God says. We, we know it. We've memorized it. We might even have it tattooed on our body. It's not that we don't know what the word of God says. It's that we know what the word of God says, but we still feel this way. It's like, man, I know what the word of God says about anxiety, but that doesn't change the fact that when I go to sleep at night, I can't fall asleep. When the lights go out, I'm just terrified. I, I know what the word of God says about shame, but man, I can't shake this. There's these kind of moments in our lives when we still feel consumed by anxiety or fear or depression or shame, despite knowing what the Word of God says. And so there are moments in time when we kind of express that and people say, well, I guess pray more. I guess just read the Bible more. I guess just memorize more scripture. Maybe you just haven't memorized the right verses. And I think some of you know there, there are these kind of moments in life where it's like, ah, but it's not that I don't believe. I believe with all my heart, but I just can't shake this feeling. 
And so the question, man, what do we do with that? What do we do in those moments? Man, let me encourage you with this. I, I think there are two specific things that tend to hinder us from believing the word of God in a way that brings peace. Because the truth of God's word should bring peace. Should absolutely bring peace and rest to our souls. But sometimes there are things that hinder us from believing the truth in a way that brings peace. So let me talk about those. The first is the brain. The first is the brain. Um, and here's what I mean. Um, sometimes the reason why we struggle with mental health has less to do with our faith and more to do with our brain and what's kind of going on biologically, right? Um, so um, there are two major command centers in the brain. There's uh, what's called the limbic system and the cerebral, co- cerebral cortex. Um, and two doctors, I'm going to get their names Name's right. Uh, Dr. Dan Siegel and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson uh, created this kind of verbiage. Um, it's up here on the screen called the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain. And the downstairs brain uh, is where we have like the fight or flight mode, right? It's where like it's the alarm system, right? Um, but then the upstairs brain is where like the logic and the reason reside, right? So, um, so an example is if you hear like a sound in the middle of the night, right? The downstairs brain sounds the alarm and says, okay, either we are about to fight somebody or we're, we're about to hide under the covers, right? That's our options, right? And when our brains function properly, we have the ability to walk up the staircase to the upstairs brain where logic and reason reside and say, okay, hey, hey, you know what? It's the win. It's all good. We're good. It's the win. I heard a thing. We're fine. And then you go right back to sleep, right? Right? That's, that's this kind of downstairs brain, upstairs brain relationship. But the reality is that sometimes we experience things in life that function like this. This is a baby gate, if you guys have ever seen a baby gate. There's, there's also a sticker on here because I bought this at Target today, and I'm going to return this as soon as this is over. So uh, if you work at Target, I'll see you in the morning. Um, I have a receipt. It's cool. Uh, but uh, so oftentimes there are things that we experience, specifically trauma, that will function like this gate. Right? So baby gates are designed to keep babies from like crawling upstairs and then like falling down the stairs. Right? It's a phenomenal invention. Um, the funny thing about these is that these are really good at keeping babies from going upstairs, but also good at keeping like 30-year-olds from going upstairs. Because every time I've gone to like a friend's house and they have, have this, like, I still don't know how to like open it up. And they're like, no, you just pull it up. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, I can't. Um, so <laughs> anyway, these are really, really good at what they do. Right? And the point is there are moments in time when we experience things, specifically traumatic events, and what happens is that this falls at the base of the staircase. So all of a sudden, our downstairs brain is kind of going crazy. It's going off, and there's this kind of fight or flight. There's anxiety. There's fear. There's all these things that are natural emotions, but we can't get upstairs. We can't get to the part of our brain that's having logic and reason and kind of calming us down that helps us understand the truth of God's word in a way that brings peace. We just can't. There's just something that's blocking the staircase, right? In fact, that's my, that's my wife's story. I asked her if I could share this, and she said absolutely. Um, but my, my wife's senior year of college, yeah, that'll stay. Um, my wife's senior year of college, at 4 o'clock in the morning, she hears a sound at the front door. Um, her bedroom is at the very front of her house. So she looks out the window and she sees a man in a black cap and a black hoodie walk into her house at four o'clock in the morning. She immediately locks her door. She, she runs into her bathroom and she calls 911. It takes the police 19 minutes to get to her house. So it's 19 minutes of the downstairs brain sounding the alarm. 19 minutes of the downstairs brain in fight or flight mode right? 
But additionally, that's 19 minutes of my sweet wife believing that she is seconds away from someone walking into her room and assaulting her or raping her. And so for 19 minutes, she is cowered in her bathroom waiting for the police to show up. She runs outside as soon as they show up. Her roommate sees the lights flashing, walks outside and says, hey, what's happening? And she says, no, there's, there's someone in the house, like, get out. And her roommate tells her, oh, no, 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 it's, it's just my friend so-and-so. It's just some dude that just happened to come say hi at 4 o'clock in the morning. So the sound that she heard was her roommate unlocking the door and the guy that she saw wearing a black hat and a black hoodie, which is the worst thing to wear at 4 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> comes walking into the house. And so immediately when that happened, everyone just kind of wrote it off. They're like, oh, wow, that's crazy, man. Praise God that you're okay. I guess everything's cool, right? And then they just kind of moved, moved on. Right? And so she kind of felt like, yeah, I, I, yeah, we're cool, we're safe. Like nothing actually happened. Like, I, yeah, we'll just laugh it off, right? But what she didn't realize was that her downstairs brain for 19 minutes experienced a legitimate trauma. Even though no one actually broke into her house, according to her limbic system, that was trauma. That actually happened. So for the next three or four years, she just was just consumed with fear and anxiety in the middle of the night. Like anytime she would hear a sound in the middle of the night, it would just consume her. And so probably six, seven months into our marriage, we're laying in bed. We lived in this house that there was no installations. You could hear anything and everything. And so something uh, made some sound, and, and, and we were sitting in bed, and she was just, just afraid. And, and me being a pastor, I'd, I tried to be pastoral, and so I'd start talking about the sovereignty of God and all these things, right? <laughs> I started talking about God's, you know, God is in absolute control. I started talking about these verses. I start trying to do all these things, and when that doesn't work, I try to make logical arguments for, hey, like, like you, you realize like no one actually broke into your house, right? And so insensitive. And I remember sitting in bed, and my sweet wife, just through tears, says, I, I know all that. It's like I memorized every freaking verse on anxiety. I've prayed so much for God to take this away, and I don't know why. I'm just so afraid. And so we said, right, let's go talk to someone about it. So she goes to see a counselor, and the counselor explains everything that I just said says that what happened is that although no one actually broke into your brain, or broke into your house, <laughs> sorry, although no one broke into your house, your brain doesn't know that. Because what happened is that in that moment, there was this gate at the bottom of the staircase. And so what's happening is it has nothing to do with your faith. It has nothing to do with you not believing the word of God. It has nothing to do with your prayers. It has everything to do with the fact that you've experienced the trauma that we just simply need to address. Like, you're not crazy. There's just something happening in your brain that we can fix. And so by the grace of God, there's this uh, therapy called EMDR that's for post-traumatic stress, and, and it's done wonders. It's been amazing. And I can't begin to explain to you just the relief that my sweet wife felt when she realized that had nothing to do with her faith and everything to do with her brain. And I tell you that because maybe you're in a similar place and you hear that story and you think, oh my gosh, like that's me. Maybe you have been walking around, you've been so just frustrated or maybe you've just felt shame. You feel like a horrible Christian. It's like, do, do, do I just not believe the word of God? Do I just not believe that God is in control? There's something wrong with my faith. I'm, man, can I encourage you by saying, maybe it has nothing to do with your faith and everything to do with your brain. And there is, and there's a reason for it. 
And if that's you, can I, I encourage you? Man, go talk to somebody. I mean, we have phenomenal counselors about the grace of a God that can walk alongside you in, in professional ways and help you kind of process and navigate these things. And there, there's no reason to uh, avoid that. So we have um, a list up here. Um, we'll also post this on um, Instagram. But we have uh, three specific firms that we refer to all the time, Restoration, the Counseling Collective, and Metroplex. Um, and they are all three phenomenal, for, phenomenal uh, biblical counseling firms. Um, and so, I mean, if you want information on that, you can come talk to, to any of us um, and go, go talk to somebody. We, we highly encourage counseling. And if you're in the room and you think, ah, I think I'm okay. Like, can, can I, I just say, I, I think by and large, the stigma about going to counseling is beginning to wane. But if there's something in you that just feels the sense of pride of like, no, no, like, I don't need counseling. Can I just say like, no one's invincible, right? Strong people are not the people that don't need counseling. Strong people are the people that are humble enough to admit when they need help and get up and, and they go seek help. There's no shame in that. I mean, if you feel like you are in a place where maybe something is off, and just go talk to someone because I think God has allowed us to have access to people that can walk through these uh, traumatic things with us. So um, the first thing that might actually hinder us from believing the word of God in a way that brings rest is there's something going on in the brain. But the second is this. The second is our past. Our past. And here's what I mean. Our experiences matter. Our experiences matter. Because our experiences shape the way that we view God. And specifically, our experiences shape the way that we view his word. Right? So, um, for instance, if I stand up here and I say, hey, we have no reason to fear because our God is in absolute control. Your experiences might say, that's a lie. Your experiences might say, hey, you don't know my story. If God was actually in control, then God wouldn't have allowed me to be, to be abused the way that I was. If God was actually in control, my story would not be a story of chronic sickness. If God was absolutely in control, then my life would look drastically different. My life would not be chaos. My life would not be about financial instability since I was two years old. My, my life would not look the way that it is. Like, like maybe your story that the only consistent thing you've ever experienced is inconsistency. And you can hear someone say, hey, God is in control, and your experiences might say, that's a lie. It's a lie. Hey, or maybe you hear someone talk about grace, and grace is just a hard concept to understand. Maybe you hear someone talk about how grace is this beautiful concept where, where we bring nothing to the table, where our performance doesn't earn us the love of God. The beauty of the gospel is that God loves us despite us, despite how our performance looks. God loves us anyway. God bestows his grace upon us. And maybe you hear grace, and, and, and that's a hard concept to understand because since you were a kid, you learned that your dad only delighted in you when you did something impressive. Maybe from a kid, you realized that the love of your parents was tied to your ability to hit a home run or get straight A's or do something that made the family proud. And so now you have this kind of performance anxiety where you're so just worked up trying to earn the favor of people and trying to earn the favor of God, and you don't even understand grace because your experience says, no, I'm only loved when I perform well. And our, our experiences shape 
the way that we view the world and the way that we view God and the way that we view his word. Now, here's the thing. Again, the truth of God's word is the truth, and it's an unchanging truth. I can't get the answer to that on Apple Watch. <laughs> we just stumped Siri, guys. <laughs> Congratulations. So many distractions tonight. Okay. The point is that the word of God will always be true. But our experiences can write these kind of false narratives. They can write these stories about how life actually goes that says that the word of God is not true, but the reality is our experiences, although valid, our experiences don't negate the truth of God's word. And so in those moments, what we need to do is we need to be able to allow the gospel to rewrite false narratives. Do we need to allow the gospel to rewrite the false narratives that maybe our experiences have written about our life, right? Um, there's a, um, a concept in storytelling called um, an inciting incident. And what an inciting incident says is that characters or storylines don't change on their own, right? Like, no one just, like, wakes up one, one day and says, I'm going to drop 100 pounds, right? Like, something has to happen that moves them to a place to say, oh, like, either they got, like, a diagnosis or something, and, like, something happens that moves them to action, Right? Like, like no one just changes. There has to be an inciting incident, some kind of moment in the story that moves them to do something else, to rewrite the whole story, right? And that concept applies to us, right? Like, like we don't change on our own. Something has to happen in our life that changes the, the narrative, that changes the story and moves it in a different direction. So my hope and my prayer tonight is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that inciting incident. That you allow the gospel to become the thing in your story that maybe the first half of your story looked a certain way and then you experienced the gospel in a way where your story looked drastically different, right? Drastically different. Like maybe like the first half of your story is performance anxiety. Where the, like, like you are only love, you only feel love when it comes to your performance. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ says you are loved, period. I don't care what your dad said when you were seven. Your dad lied to you. I don't care how your family operated. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel says that we serve a God of grace who loves you despite you. You are loved, period. No performance needed, so stop striving. Right? If, if your story is a story of shame, and this kind of shame-induced depression where you are your mistake and you are a mistake. Man, my hope is that the gospel speaks into that in such a way. It says, hey, understand the gospel. That Jesus went to the cross, and when he did, he paid for all of your sin. If you are in Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come, you are not your mistake. Man, may the gospel rewrite our false narratives. Because sometimes our experiences hinder us from being able to believe the truth of God's word in a way that brings peace and rest to our souls. When I walked into uh, the counselor's office, we began to just kind of talk about my life and my experiences and um, all that stuff. And if you, if you know, know me, I've talked about this some. Um, a big part of my story is that when I was five, I developed a really bad stutter. And what I learned early on um, is that the bar is set pretty low for kids who stutter because so much of what we consider to be successful uh, requires the ability to communicate with fluency. And so I could tell that, that no one really expected a lot out of me, and that kind of put a chip on my sh shoulder. 
And so I made it my, my, my mission that, man, I'm going to be impressive. I'm going to do things that, that kind of rise above my station. And because I only felt loved by age six or seven. I only felt loved or respected when I, when I did something cool. When I did something that impressed people, they say, ah, oh, the stuttering kid, he can do those things. That's, that's neat. Like, that's kind of how I felt loved and respected, by just doing impressive things. And so, and so I, I, as I'm kind of like talking through my, my life and my story and my experiences and, you know, all these things and just how like just exhausted and burnt out and kind of depressed I was, the counselor stopped me and says, hey, man, can, can I t- tell you something? I was like, sure. He says, the God of the universe the God who spoke creation into existence, the God that holds all things together, that God knows your name. He doesn't just know your name. He calls you his son. He went to great lengths to actually adopt you, make you a part of the family of God. He gave you an inheritance. He's invited you to come sit at his table for eternity. That's pretty freaking impressive, if you ask me. He goes on to say, he says, you know, the reality is, man, you can, you can believe that you're only as loved, as, impress, as, as impressive as you are, but the reality is there's always going to be someone that's a better preacher. There's always going to be someone that sells more books. There's always going to be a cooler church. There's always going to be uh, something or someone out there that's significantly more impressive. And if you spend your life chasing after this thing, if you believe that you're only loved when you're being impressive, then you're going to spiral out, man. Because it's never going to be enough. But the reality is that your heavenly Father runs the universe. I don't think you can get much more impressive than that. And in that moment, what happened is the gospel, which I had known for a long time, like I preached it. But the gospel hit me in a way where all of a sudden these false narratives that I had that had kind of sent me into this depression. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only loved when I do impressive things. I'm only respected if I'm the best at what I do. Like, all of a sudden, the gospel begins to rewrite the false narrative that my experiences had written. And all of a sudden, I began to feel a peace and a rest. And all of a sudden, the word of God began to make sense and it began to revive my apathetic soul. So for you, maybe what you need to do is you need to just come to a place where you allow the gospel to rewrite the way that you view your experiences. Again, maybe that means spending some time with a counselor who can listen and process and help you kind of navigate what's going on because for, I mean, our stories are complicated. We've been through so many things and so sometimes you just need someone to just sit and listen and say, okay, here's, here's what I'm hearing. But but my hope is that tonight the gospel of Jesus Christ is the inciting incident that changes the way that you view your experiences. Let me close with this. I realize that mental health is a complicated thing. And to be completely honest, there's probably people in here who feel like tonight's too much, and there's probably others that feel like it's not enough. And the reality is that there's there's so much stuff that we could talk about. But man, my hope in all of this is that you understand that healing is available. That we serve a God who says that healing is available. 
I think there is healing available here through counselors and through community and, and through people that are willing to walk with us and better understand what's happening in our mind that affects our behavior and our mood and our, our thinking. And I know that sometimes it's just a simple counseling session and, we've, and things are changed. But for others of us, man, it's chronic. You might spend your whole life just kind of going back and forth and just feeling this weight, just feeling this, just this exhaustion. Hey, can I encourage you with this? That we serve a God who provides healing here and now, but he provides healing ultimately. Because one of the other beautiful aspects of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that he hasn't just died for us, he hasn't just saved us, he hasn't just adopted us, but he's promised that there is a day when he's going to return. And when he does, he is going to redeem and restore all things. He's going to make all things new. And all the things that plague this broken, fallen world, like mental health, are going to disappear. So, man, I want to read one of my favorite passages just to close. It just paints this picture of what is ahead to understand that, man, there truly is healing and if it's not now, ultimately, we get to experience healing because of what Christ has done. This is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. It says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I love this part. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My friends, let me finish by just encouraging you. There is a coming a day when all the pain that we feel, all the mental health struggles that we feel, they're going di- to disappear and we get to be with God. This is trustworthy, it's true, because our God is coming to make all things new. May we, in the struggle, long for the day when he comes to redeem and restore what has been broken by sin. Let me pray. Father, you are a God of hope. You are a God of restoration. You are a God of redemption. God, you are a God who does not leave us on our own. As the psalmist says, you are near to the brokenhearted. You bind up the wounds of those who have been afflicted. So Father, my, my hope tonight is that, that in the midst of some really legitimate struggles, that you are near to my brothers and sisters tonight. that your gospel is refreshing in a new way. Even when we experience the dark night of the soul, when, when it seems there is no hope, 
And it seems like it's going to feel like this forever. Yeah, that we can rest in you knowing that your word is true. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, God. God, will you be a safe refuge for us? God, will you bring healing and redemption to our minds and our hearts and our souls? We love you and we trust you. It's your something we pray. Amen. What a good sermon from Josh. And like he said, we know mental health can be tough to deal with. So we at Renovate want you to know that you aren't alone. So many people who come to Renovate struggle with mental illness in one form or another. But the beauty of a Christ-centered community is that you get people who want to walk with you even through the darkest of times. So reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. And take special note of our social media because we will be providing a list of counseling resources on those platforms for you to look at and take advantage of. But we say reach out and get in touch because we want to do anything we can to help you find that community too. We believe that Jesus wants to meet us all right where we are in whatever state we're in. And we want that for you too. So we are praying for you and we hope that you have a blessed week. Take care.